Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. You know, I don't remember uh, much about when I was a baby, uh, but I assume that my communication with my parents was probably pretty limited. Most of it probably sounded like like this. Wah! <laughs> a lot of a lot of cooing, a lot of crying. Hopefully, some uh, some laughing in there somewhere. Uh, but you know, I did that. Uh, you did that. My kids did that, and uh, probably your kids did that as well. Uh, but that's just that's about as all you're able to do when you're an infant. But as you get a little bit older and are able to develop words, it quickly turns into phrases. Phrases like this. I want that. Give me this. How about this one? No. <laughs> yep. But you know, as you grow, your communication tends to grow. And there was this time when I didn't necessarily need something from my parents as I grew and developed, but I just wanted to be around them. I could simply thank them at some point, you know, in in my journey, just to thank them for their efforts in raising me and in loving me. And I could express these things to them because I had grown in my development and I had grown in my understanding of who they were. And you know, prayer is like that. Yeah, we might start out with a lot of, I need this. Give me that. I want. No. But hopefully, as we grow, as we grow in our faith, that communication will begin to advance beyond that. And hopefully, it will advance to sound a little bit more like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. If you've been tracking along with us, you know that we're in week three of a seven-part series about the Lord's Prayer entitled, as I said before, Teach Us to Pray. Our first week focused on God, our Father, and our Father specifically in where? Heaven, right? Last week, Albie took us through the the part of the prayer where it's hallowed be your name. And today we're going to spend some time looking at the line, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in, uh, in order to fully understand and grasp what this phrase, your kingdom come, means in the context of the Lord's Prayer, we first have to unpack a concept that was central to the earthly ministry of Jesus. 
And the very best way that I know how to do this is hands down through the Bible Project video, Heaven and Earth. And so we're going to watch that together now. It's, it's about six and a half minutes, so hold on. Really well done. We love the Bible Project here, and they're going to explain it much better than I ever could in six minutes. So here we go. Well, we live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible was all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling 
among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. We believe the best way to understand the Bible is to look at its overall narrative. So we're going to do this by taking individual themes and tracing them throughout the storyline of the whole Bible. We also do this by making videos... So the Bible project around here. Um, if you get a chance to go on YouTube, uh, I highly recommend going and, and checking out uh, some of their other stuff. But I particularly love that one. It's probably my favorite, um, especially as it relates to the subject matter, which can be really detailed. Albie and I were talking this past week, and you know we could easily do a seven-week series on the kingdom. <laughs> but uh, we're going to try to condense it down a little bit for today. And I want to I talk about something. I want to highlight a few things that they might have touched on there uh, in our remaining moments moments together uh, when it comes to your kingdom come. Uh, you know, in his first uh, public message, uh, which was recorded in Mark chapter 1, Jesus makes a staggering claim in verse 15 when he says these famous words, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, it's interesting, the, the regular ordinary use of the word time comes from the Greek word chronos. Maybe you've heard that word before, but it's actually where we get the word chronological. You might say that chronos is what they might call tick-tock time, that which can be measured by clocks and calendars. However, what's really interesting is that in this, in this passage in, in Mark, 
They're referring to a different type of time. Time, in this context, is the Greek word kairos, which depicts what one might call opportunity time. That is, time seen as a unique moment determined by God for the fulfillment of his divine purposes. You know, growing up, it was commonplace uh, in my uh, generation and our church community to hear the statement, we're living in the last days. How many are familiar with that statement? Okay. You know, don't you know we're living in the last days? Um, it's interesting. I've even heard this phrase kind of popping up a bit more uh, regularly. Uh, and it seems like there's any time there's any slight, uh, you know, minor inconvenience, it signals the end of the world for some Christians. Well, you know, there's a toilet paper shortage. End of the world. We're living in the last days. It seems like whenever there's some major uh, world event or political tension, it signals the apocalypse for some. And you know what's interesting? It's been this way for years. <laughs> I, I can't remember a time when I didn't hear that phrase or that statement, especially as it related to world events. You know, we just kind of recognized uh, 9-11, you know, and when 9-11 happened, man, I mean, Christians all over the place, man, they thought this was the end. Jesus is sure to return now. Um, the reality, as you begin to study the word, as you begin to look at the life of Jesus and the kingdom, is that we have been living in the last days since Jesus came on the scene. Ever since Jesus came on the scene, he ushered in the kingdom. There was a Kairos moment when Jesus came to earth that first Christmas morning. The end of days started when Jesus arrived. Jesus shows up and says, the kairos is now. The unique moment in time is here. Time for what, though? Well, time for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And it is the message of the kingdom of God that is central to the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. If you think about what Jesus did, Jesus went around and he proclaimed the kingdom of God. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was a central message for Jesus. So he went around proclaiming the kingdom. But yet we also see that after he followed that up by doing mighty deeds and miracles setting people free. We'll talk about that in a minute. So not only did Jesus proclaim the kingdom through word, but he also demonstrates the kingdom through action, through deed. The term kingdom of God uh, does not refer to a geographical location or an identifiable group of people, but for today, the kingdom of God, we'll, we'll describe it as this, is the dynamic rule and reign of the king. It's a way of saying that God is acting as king, that wherever the king is, there his kingdom is also. You know, the Hebrew prophets, they wrote about and longed for the day when God would finally come and establish his kingly rule over the entire earth, as that video depicts at the end, when the kingdom comes to bear and, and, and kind of takes up the whole space of that circle. That's sort of what the arch narrative of history is moving towards in Jesus but the prophets of the Old Testament, they longed for the day when God would intervene 
once and for all, and he would put all things to right. There's a wonderful passage at the end of Revelation that sort of describes this, sort of gives us a foretaste of what they were longing for when Jesus would put all things to right once and for all, when he would reverse the effects of the fall of humanity forever and everything will be restored. So when it comes to the kingdom, what are we praying for when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? As we, especially as we look at this prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he mentions this line, your kingdom come. Well, in his book, 57 Words That Changed the World by Daryl Johnson, he says this, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is one of, if not the most radical things a human being can do. For it turns out that in this petition, we are asking God to bring about the, the most massive revolution imaginable. It's revolution that we're praying for when we pray, your kingdom come. And it's a revolution because we're asking that the God of the universe bring with him into our present a future reality, one that is marked by wholeness and restoration. And so what sorts of things happen when the kingdom does come near? You know, when we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, when that happens, what happens? Well, after Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God was near, he also demonstrated its reality through mighty deeds. We read very much so about the life of Jesus in his earthly ministry and what sorts of things he did while he walked among us. It says that Jesus gave sight to the blind, caused the lame to walk, cleansed lepers, liberated those who were held captive by demonic powers and oppression. He healed the sick. Jesus befriended sinners. He calmed the wind and the waves. He multiplied food to feed crowds. He stood in solidarity with the poor. Jesus raised people from the dead. Jesus called women into his company in a time in which they were not granted that sort of dignity and purpose. This is the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus does. The rule of the king comes near and things that were once broken are restored. See, and it's, it's Jesus' deeds that validated Jesus' claims. Jesus' miracles demonstrated that yes, a future reality is actually breaking in right now into our very present. One of the most incredible things, I think, is realizing as a Christian that you and I can participate in kingdom activity. This is, uh, this is a game changer for me. Um, Christians are given the opportunity and the encouragement to pray in God's restorative future in the here and the now. And it's not that we bring God's kingdom because only God can bring God's kingdom. Amen? Amen? Only God can do the things that God does. And so we need to keep that relationship, you know, in the rightful place. But we, we are asked 
to pray for a kingdom reality to break into our present. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. You know, one of the hardest days for our family uh, was finding out that our son, Soren, uh, was completely deaf in his left ear. It was a really hard day. Um, I, I was by myself. I took him to the doctor's appointment just down here, Cheshire Med. And it's, it's a weird feeling to be told that your, your child, who you think you know, is healthy, but you have some concerns about maybe you know, some of his hearing, and it's a weird feeling to be told, your son is deaf, and there's nothing we can do. And I, gotta, I, I just got to add, it was kind of heartless <laughs> the way that we were told. Uh, it was just a really, really cold, like factual, this is it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to take all this in on my own. Uh, Danielle's at work and trying to collect myself and trying to figure out what this all means. And so this was a tough, a tough day. It was a tough week. Um, and, and we knew as we began to process and think about what, what this meant, we knew that this would affect his whole life. Um, you know, his education, uh, his social interactions. And yet we also knew that we served a big God, a big God indeed. So we began this journey of prayer. It started that day. This journey of prayer asking that God would completely, just miraculously restore his hearing completely. And so we would, you know, I remember we would lay hands on him every single night. We would put our hand over his ear and we would pray that God would restore what had been broken. See, we're, we're living in, in this realization that we live in a fallen, broken world and it affects everything, including sometimes our physical ability. And so we began to pray and our, our family prayed for Soren. Our life group prayed for Soren. This is one of the best times that our life group kind of leaned in and prayed specifically into a, a need and they joined us in that prayer. We began to ask that God would bring his kingdom nearer to Soren because a future reality, I believe, knows nothing of deafness. It knows nothing of deafness. And so, you know, meantime, we were in the background, we're still going to, you know, appointments, doctor appointments, and we begin to want to start to get some second opinions about his situation. What can be done? Can nothing be done? And so at the time, you know, uh, a cochlear implant was an idea, but it was not approved by the FDA uh, for Soren's situation. So that was tough. Uh, but however, we, you know, a few weeks down the road, we went for an MRI consult and they told us, uh, well, the surgeon came into the room to kind of meet with Danielle and I, and he said, you know, Soren is a, a wonderful candidate for a single-sided deafness cochlear implant. And it has just been approved three weeks prior to us going in. It has just been approved for kids ages five and up. So once before we were told, no, this wasn't going to happen. His, you know, his situation, single-sided deafness, pediatric, not going to happen. Then we walk in, and three weeks before we had gotten there, they had approved this whole process, this whole surgery. Um, and it was just, it was amazing. It was like, a, uh, to, to us, it was a tiny miracle, because it was like, he's, he's able to do this, and, and the doctor's saying he thinks he's a good candidate for it. 
So fast forward to a little over 14 months, Soren has had a cochlear implant, uh, and through the use of modern medicine and technology, uh, his brain has rewired itself through the cochlear implant uh, so that he can now, to this day, hear a step below, out of that ear, somebody with average hearing. No hearing to somebody who can now hear, through the use of modern technology, to a step below somebody with average hearing. To us, that was miraculous. That God has used modern medicine, and, and you know, we thought maybe God would intervene and instantly heal him miraculously, and yet God worked his way through the hands of the surgeon and, and those who work on technology for hearing. And he opened a door for Soren to regain some of his hearing. And he's still on a journey. We go back to appointments and they'll like ratchet up the, the volume level, you know, and they'll test his hearing. And he's, he's like progressively hearing more through the use of this technology. And to us, this is a picture of the kingdom of God because restoration is what happens when the kingdom comes near. So restoration of something that is broken has taken place here for our son. And we're so thankful, thrilled for that. Um, it's interesting. In Jesus, we know that the kingdom of God has come. It's kind of like said. But there are a number of times in the gospels where Jesus speaks of the kingdom as still yet to come. And so one such moment is at the Last Supper when he says to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So what we recognize with the kingdom of God is that there is a tension that exists. We often refer to this tension as the already and the not yet. How many have ever heard that phrase before? Okay, good, good amount of you. Uh, the already and the not yet. That is to say that in Jesus, God's new order is already present in some form. When he came on the scene, he brought with him the kingdom. Jesus is actually the embodiment of the kingdom of God. But yet, we know that there is more kingdom to come. That makes sense. That we know that there is one day coming and... People refer to this scripture as well uh, as the day of the Lord, a day in which God will bring his entire kingdom and restoration on this earth will take place in its entirety. Paul describes our present moment in Romans chapter 8 as the birth pangs of redemption. And so you might say that for now, we experience what you might kind of refer to the birth pangs of redemption as kingdom contractions. Contractions, what happens with contractions in childbirth? They come closer together and more consistent before a baby is born. I believe this is what Paul is showing us as he paints a picture of what the kingdom is like in this moment. That now, for now, we wait in these pockets in these moments where the kingdom breaks into our present reality, but it's not fully here yet. So, a question is, so if the church has been given, and I believe we have, the right to pray for the kingdom of God to break in, then why don't we pray for this more regularly? It's kind of baffling. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, you know, I, I just don't know what I've been given half the time. I, I don't recognize as a child of God what opportunity has been placed before me to pray for the kingdom to come near. I think we forget. 
And there are a number of reasons why I think we don't exercise this opportunity more regularly. But one, I think, at the top of the list is related to who is actually king in our lives. See, we live in a culture that is increasingly wanting what I think is the benefits of the kingdom without the king. When it comes to praying your kingdom come, it's really a prayer asking God to come and to rule and to reign, not only in, in, in and around us, but also in our very lives. We're asking that God would bring his rule and reign to bear on our lives. And so a question would be, is he ruling in your life? Is he reigning in your life? Does Jesus the king have authority over your life? Have you surrendered your life to him? Is he the king of you and your kingdom? And you know, it's not a, it's not a shot in the dark. Uh, this question, I think, can be measured by some things. How you spend your time. How you spend your money. What you dream about how you use your stuff. Some of these things can be indicators for who is actually king in our lives. And see, oftentimes our prayers will involve us asking God to build our little kingdom. And, you know, if we're feeling very generous, we will take some of our kingdom resources and give them back to God out of the generosity of our hearts. We just want to help Jesus build his kingdom. Let me give him this or that, as if we're helping the king of the universe out. But let me ask this question. Who is in control in that scenario? Who is really king in that moment? If we want to see God's kingdom brought near, I think that we're going to have to surrender everything, our whole life, which is much harder than simply praying a magical prayer at one point in our life that secures us for heaven for all of eternity. And by the way, heaven is some far off up there place. The picture of heaven in, in scriptures is the idea of heaven coming to earth as a new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God wants to bring heaven to earth and he grants us the opportunity to be involved in that process. And I am so thankful Man, it's like, we, he didn't have to do that. We get to participate. We get to be involved. I want to I pray a prayer over us today, and then I'm going to have us stand, and we're going to do what we did last week in praying the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, but I just want to pray this over us right now. Would you, would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, make us, your church, a clear and engaging sign that the future is breaking into the present. Grant, O oh God, that when the city looks at us, it sees you and your new order. King Jesus, do through us what you did when you walked on earth in visible form. Through us, would you heal the sick? Would you free the captives? Reconcile enemies. Raise the dead to newness of life. In Keene, New Hampshire, as it is in heaven. Amen. 
We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.